uh, God has placed uh, these thoughts in my mind and in my heart. And today I want to take a few moments of your time and speak out of this text. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10, the word of the Lord reads, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Amen. With God's help, I want to speak today on this thought, a land of hills and valleys. A land of hills and valleys. Can someone say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Whenever you're driving around, you may notice uh, someone in a orange vest like, like this from time to time uh, appears to be looking through what looks like uh, a camera on a tripod. Uh, but I can tell you that these are not cameramen, but surveyors who specialize in measuring the topography of an area of land. Now, you got to know that every large physical structure or building starts with a surveyor, uh, one of these uh, skilled technicians who will measure out the rise and the fall of the land with its hills and its slopes in order to determine how to correctly build on that, that property or how to pave that road. If you just start building and you just start paving the road and you don't uh, go through this, if you skip this process of surveying the land, you could end up in quite a mess. It, the, the results could be uh, catastrophic if you don't correctly survey the land. This is very important. Uh, and you, you'll see these, these individuals from time to time out there looking through that, that instrument of theirs, and they're taking measurements. They're taking measurements. It's very, it's very scientific, very calculated. There's a lot of math involved, and so it's a very important step in the process. And what I've come to realize is that surveying is not only crucial for building a house or building a sky rise, but it's also necessary for building a life, for building on the promises of God. Oftentimes what I've discovered is that we, and I say we in generally speaking, so if it's not you, don't be offended, but I think in general terms, we tend to run into things and just start building without taking into account the spiritual or the emotional topography. We don't quite survey what it is we're getting ourselves into. Uh, we kind of just, you know, we get excited about something. Something kind of captures our imagination. It excites us. Uh, we can already visualize ourselves uh, living that certain life or going to that certain place. And, and we just kind of jump into it. And we ask questions later, you know, or we think about what the cost might be at a later time. And, and from, from the small things in life to the great things in life, you know, uh, 
there, there are times where we just will jump into things uh, and just start asking questions later. It may not be a road trip or, or building something on your property, but it could be anything. Sometimes we just jump into a job or we jump into a relationship. Amen. We jump into things without surveying the land. Amen. Somebody say amen. And it can result in a lot of disappointment and frustration. It can result in us being uh, disillusioned and discouraged about what it is that we are experiencing. And we may blame the devil. We may blame uh, all sorts of things. And it's not, even a, um, it's not even an attack of the devil. It's not even the devil's fault. It's simply a product of the land. It's just the landscape. It's the terrain. It's the way that it is constructed, the way that it is designed. And oftentimes the disappointment or the frustration that we feel is simply a result of not being properly prepared for what we are entering into and understanding where we are going. And Moses, the great patriarch of the children of Israel, who led them and emancipated them out of Egyptian slavery, we know he is an icon in, in Jewish history, he's an icon in the Bible, this great man, he had this very concern about the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt and entering into their promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised their forefathers, Abraham, this land that would flow with milk and honey. And there was a very critical juncture in Deuteronomy, that this is the, the text setting today, Deuteronomy 11, where Moses stood before the children of Israel. Now, if you want to know what the book of Deuteronomy is all about, it's basically one very, very long sermon. If you think I'm long-winded today, just read Moses' sermon. Because <laughs> he got up, and it doesn't ever say that he got a water break. <laughs> he just kept talking and talking and talking. It's, it's one of the longest sermons because it's simply his message to God's people. And he was trying to prepare a desert-dwelling, Egypt-residing uh, people, uh, preparing them for a land of promise. And so he stood up before them and he says, look, I've got a level with all of you. Not only are there going to be a bunch of new rules that will be instituted, there's going to be a lot of guidelines and, and parameters in which we're going to live. We're not just going to walk into this thing and just kind of live any old kind of way. Uh, we've got to measure out the topography of this promised land. And that's exactly what he did. Like a, like a land surveyor, he measured it all out. And when he did this, he unveiled some sobering realities about this new place that God was ushering his people to. And I think that as everyone was kind of sitting there and listening to teacher Moses, leader Moses, uh, instruct them, describe the place that they're about to go, I think that many of them were kind of scratching their heads a little bit and thinking to themselves, Boy, what did we get ourselves into here? Because this is supposed to be a place of uh, where my, all my dreams come true. This is supposed to be uh, like, you know, the, the greatest thing ever. And now you're telling me that this land of milk and honey is not all milk and honey. Now you're telling me that this place where we're going to has got hills and valleys in it. It's got some challenges in it. And, and as he began to paint this picture for them, this, this realistic picture of what it is to truly step into the promises of God. I saw a spiritual parallel for every child of God that is interested in stepping into your divine promises. Is there somebody here today that wants to inherit the promises of God for your life, for your marriage, and for your family? Come on, clap your hands uh, to the Lord if you want to do that. Amen? This is what we want. 
But what I've come today is I've come to prepare you for the places that God is taking you in your spirit, amen, in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry. We've got to have a surveying mentality today to see what is it going to take to not only cross over but thrive in the place where God has called us. And so Moses lays it out for the children of Israel. And the first thing he tells them, and the first, uh, I think, basic instruction for anyone who's going to traverse and going to uh, make uh, the land of promise their land is they've got to, number one, leave the familiar. Someone say, leave the familiar. First thing that Moses wants the children of Israel to understand about this place they're going to, in verse 10, he said, for the land which you will go to possess is not like. Someone say, it's not like. Come on, I need everybody's house. Somebody say, it's not like. First thing you need to know about where you're going, he speaks to the children of Israel, it's not like the land of Egypt from which you came from. Now, you would think this would be like an obvious thing. You would think they wouldn't need to know that. But sometimes we have to be awakened or we have to be uh, enlightened to obvious things. And he tells them this is not like that. In other words, there is a mental shift that's going to have to occur in your mind and in your hearts for you to make this successful transition into where I am calling. And so he's basically telling them, number one, this is not that. This is not that. This is not Egypt. Now, Egypt, for most of our Bible-trained uh, minds today, Bible readers, you know Egypt usually symbolizes sin and the world. That, I, I would say that's its main application. But also, Egypt can represent any place, any season, any area of life that God brings you out of. Any place that God is moving and transitioning you from could be an Egypt. Doesn't necessarily have to be sin. Doesn't necessarily have to be the world. It could be any place that's gone stagnant. Any place that God is calling you out of. It could be a comfort zone. Amen. It can be a place that you're used to. Or in this case, a place that you are familiar with. Our personal Egypts are those familiar places, those deep-rooted places, those places from which we have built our lives and our families and our, and our homes, uh, those places that are secure, those places that are comfortable, those places that are, 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 they feel natural to us, those places that feel like home to us. Here's the thing you got to understand about the children of Israel. Now, most of the times when we think about Egypt, we think about, you know, the, the, the paganness and, and the idea and all the things, and yes, that's all true, and I will touch on that in a few more moments in this message. But you got to also understand that these were a group of people that had lived there for over 400 years. There were, there were generations of people whom Egypt was all they knew. You understand that? There were generations that this was all they knew. They actually lived, died, and were buried at least a few generations into Egypt. It was all they knew. And so for all intents and purposes, Egypt was home. Egypt, what was, it was the familiar thing. It was where their kids were raised. It was where they worked, and it was where they built their lives. And to certain degrees... I'm not saying that it was paradise or it was, we know that it was not God's plan for them and not God's perfect will, but to a certain degree, it was a place of security. And these, in this Egypt we see today in our lives, uh, may not, it may be far from an ideal condition, but Egypt are those places that at least you know what and who you're dealing with. 
Egypt are those places that even if it's not the perfect will of God, even if it's not where you know you should be or you know you ought to be, you kind of at least know, you at least know who your enemies are. <laughs> you at least know who to stay away from. You at least know where to go. You at least know how to survive. You know what I'm saying? How to survive and, and where to go and what, what places to avoid after a certain hour. You know what I'm saying? You at least kind of know your environment. You kind of know who to stay away from. It may not be ideal. It may not be the best uh, environment, but you can survive there. and You can kind of, you know, make it through that if it's a hostile work environment or whatever it is simply by kind of knowing who and what you're dealing with. And that's, I think, what it was like for the Egyptians. They, they had an idea about things. They were familiar with things. And they got comfortable there. And they got comfortable. And let us not forget, if you think, well, Egypt was a horrible place. They never wanted to live there. Oh, you got to keep reading your Bible, my friend. Because there were at least several times where the, the, the children of Israel grumbled against Moses and one time, this, as things got a little rough for them, and as harsh as Egypt was, the Israelites said this to Moses in, Num in, 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 in Numbers uh, chapter 14 and verses 2 through 4. I'm just paraphrasing a little bit here. Watch what these people, if Egypt is so bad, why in the world would they say, if only we had died in the land of Egypt? It would have been better for us to return to Egypt. Let us select a leader and return. If Egypt is so bad, why would they want to go back? And there were other times. Remember when they got fed up with the manna? Imagine getting fed up with supernatural food every single day. And that's how some of us are sometimes. Woo, I caught you right there, didn't I? <laughs> And they got fat, and they said, oh, we could just go back to Egypt because over there they had meat. It was like, you know, it was a Brazilian steakhouse back in Egypt. And they were craving the meat. And, they, and because why? There were, there were certain things about Egypt that were comfortable. There were certain things that they liked, certain amenities. They got used to a way of living, used to a way of life. It was familiar to them. And so one thing that Moses wants the children of Israel to understand is that if you're going to make this transition into greater things, if you're going to cross over into the promises of God, first thing you've got to know is this is not that. This is not that. Let me awaken you today, church and friend, to what the greatest enemy is to you fulfilling your divine destiny, to you fulfilling your calling and cry. The devil is not your biggest enemy. The enemy to your promised land is not the devil, but your attachment to the familiar. Who? somebody say amen. The devil's not your biggest problem. It's your attachment to what is familiar. Attachment to way things have been attachment to what you're used to and the greatest threat to moving forward in your god-given purpose is the attachment the emotional attachment the financial attachment mm. The spiritual attachment that we have to those things that God is trying to lead us away from. And so Moses looks in front of the people and he says, first thing you got to know, this is not that. Stop comparing. Mm, can I just say this like I want to? Someone say, go ahead. Stop comparing where you are to where you've been. Because help me say it. This is. Uh, okay. We're going to try this again. I want everybody to participate. All right. Stop comparing where you are now to where you were two years ago because this. Stop comparing this relationship that you have with the prior relationship that you had because, oh, I lost you right there. <laughs> it's not that. Stop comparing this church 
This is not how we used to do it. Well, guess what? This, I'm going to lose you. I'm going to lose you. You guys are getting nervous now. <laughs> I don't know about this pastor. <laughs> he doesn't preach the way I want him to. Well, this is not that. I don't like this job, this new boss. I like the way my old boss. You mean the boss that would let you come and go as you please without punching in your time card? Mm, yeah, the one that gave you a lot of leeway. Yeah, but this, yeah, that because this boss is actually doing his job, right? So this is. And there are many times we get frustrated with where we are because we keep com we keep comparing this to that. And I've come to announce to somebody today that God is trying to do a new thing in your life, a new thing in your marriage, a new thing in your home, a new thing in your spirit. And if you keep comparing this to that, you're going to miss it, honey. You're going to miss the blessing and the miracle. And so the first thing you got to do is leave the familiar and say, God, do a new thing. Come on and clap your hands and give the Lord some praise today. Hallelujah. So if I'm going to move forward, this is what I've got to understand is that this is not that. Moses said, this is not Egypt. And then he continues. He continues to describe this place to them so they understand what it is they're getting into. What kind of responsibility comes with being a landowner. Comes with being, uh, 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 you know, the, the cost you got to pay to be the boss. And the requirements that are needed to truly thrive in the place that God has called you to and to truly deepen your roots. And one of the best ways we can do that is, is, is leave the familiar. Say, this is not that. And lots of times when we are doing that, let me just delay this point just a little bit more, is we start grasping for that because we don't like this. And because this isn't working for us, we start giving up, we get antsy, and then we start grabbing for that. And there, that's that frustration. That's why you're in that tug of war. That's why you can't find, because you haven't let your yes be yes. You haven't got planted. You haven't got rooted. You haven't said, you know what, this is where I'm going to plant my family. This is where I'm going to plant my career. And once you realize that this is not that, you're ready to move on to the next level. Number two is you've got to change your perspective. Moses, as he's telling them, look, this is not that. This is not Egypt. So you've got to, like, scrub Egypt out of your mind. This is a different place. He said in verse 11, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land. He tells them now, how is it different from Egypt? Well, here it's got hills and valleys. Hills and valleys. Someone say hills and valleys. Israel. The children of Israel got a sneak peek of the land or the life that they would have and what it would look like in their new land or their, what it was going to look like in the promised land. They got a preview, and Moses tell them, look, the thing you need to know about where you're going is it's got hills and valleys. Now, to us, that sounds like, you know, a postcard. Oh, how, how, you know, how beautiful. It's got hills and valleys. Huh. But living there is quite different. Hills and valley looks beautiful on a postcard. But to build a life there requires a certain mindset. Because here's the thing. In Egypt, Egypt is a desert that is mostly flat. So moving around within Egypt is relatively convenient and comfortable because everything is flat. Everything is flat. You know, it, it, it's a lot easier. It's like, you know where you feel this? When you're riding a bike, right? How much easier it is just to ride on flat land? Huh? And then you start getting heels and valleys. Oh, my gosh. You guys start pump those, those, you know, those pedals a little harder. And you start moving it. Why? Because those dips, 
right? And those inclines. But when everything is flat, right, it's relatively easy. huh? And he's telling them that Egypt was a land that was flat. And it was, it, it was a land that was mostly desert. It was, it was arid. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions that, that people have about the promises of God and where God is, is taking them is that this land of promise is not a land of paradise. Hmm. We tend to think that the promises of God is some kind of utopia, some kind of dream world, some kind of place where, you know, everything is just going to, you know, be happy and wonderful. And, I'm, you know, it's just going gonna, gonna to be the answer to all of my, my, my problems. But Moses, he levels with the children of Israel. He says, this land that we're going to, it's got hills and it's got valleys. You're not used to this, children of Israel. You're not used to traversing through a land that's got hills and valleys. So guess what? It's going to cause some frustration at times. You're going to have to rethink, watch this, you're going to have to relearn some things that you knew there that's not going to help you over here. Mm. There was a certain way that you cultivated the land. There was a certain way that you dealt with the land, that you grew your harvest and that you irrigated your farms and all of that. Well, guess what? None of those things that you did there is going to help you over here because this land has got hills and valleys. It's a different place altogether. It's different. Egypt and Canaan were as different as black and white. They were completely different places. And Moses wanted them to understand that if you're going to move from a desert-dwelling people to a hills and valley-dwelling people, then you've got to know that there are going to be challenges. There is going to be work involved. I think more people are scared of of, of work than they are of anything else. You're not scared of the devil. You're scared of hard work. Hmm? You see, it can be a promised land, and it can still have hills and valleys. Amen, somebody? But what I've come to realize is that the more and the closer I get into the things of God, and the, the closer I get to God, and the closer I get to my, pers- my purpose, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder harder people think revival oh man if we just get revival man everything is just gonna flow really really everything's just gonna flow well who, who if we get into revival who, who's gonna serve those people who's gonna disciple those people we can't even we, we can't even be disciples we want to disciple people oh it got quiet when i said that some of us are still on milk milk and cookies are the word and we, 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 we want to see more. We, I want the promises of that. Can you handle the promised land? Oh, my God. Hallelujah. Can you handle the promised land? The promised land is filled with highs and lows. See, if I could just get that dream job, you're just targeting that one person in your company that has the job that you want, huh? I could do a better job than them, huh? If they would just give me a shot, I know I'm knocking out of the park. And then how many of you have ever got that job and you realize, man, I don't know if I really want this. <laughs> huh? If I was just salary and I could just get a job and then, and then when they start ringing your phone at every hour of the day and you have to pick up. Oh, can I get any? Anybody know what I'm talking about here today? Huh? You know, we, we don't think about the fact that, yeah, it might, that career, that job might be your promised land, but it's got hills and valleys. <laughs> Somebody say, well, if I just find the right person. 
if I just find Mr. Perfect, can I tell you that even Mr. Perfect has got some hills and valleys? And I'm not talking about his biceps. <laughs> There's no such thing as Mr. Perfect anyways, right? It could be the promised land. She could be the promised land. But there are still going to be ups and downs. There's still going to be highs and lows. Uh, marriage is like, how many married folk do I got here? Hey, amen. Marriage is the promised land. Amen. Yeah. Well, you guys are kind of weak on that. I said, how many of you know marriage is the promised land? Yeah. Amen. All right. We just got hills and valleys. Children, oh, if I could just have a cute little baby, I could kiss put that little diaper on it, be mine, nobody else's. Oh, okay. But at 2 a.m., <laughs> children are hills and valleys. Come on now, somebody. <laughs> huh? Oh, they'll just be mine, and I could just put a little bow on them. And, you know, if only life were just taking our kids to Olin Mills. They don't, Olin Mills don't exist no more. You know, it's an old school photographer. If, that was, if all there was was photo shoots, huh? Some of us would have had more kids. <laughs> But we said, you know what? This is enough hills and valleys for me. <laughs> okay. But we love our children. Amen. It's the promised land. Amen. Say, oh, I want to own a home. I want a home. I want to be there. I don't want to be a renter anymore. I'm going to own the home. All right. Well, get ready for the hills and valleys because when things go wrong, you got a busted pipe and something happens. Who are you going to call? Oh, ain't Ghostbusters. You ain't going to call somebody else. Who are you going to call? You're not going to call the plumber. You're not going to. It's you, buddy. You got to fix it. You got to deal with it, huh? Man, I didn't realize it was going to be all this work. The ministry that you want. Man, if I could just get up there, I, I guarantee, I guarantee, and I don't want to put him on the spot, but, you know, we see, we see Brother Eli, man, he did a tremendous job up here leading worship. He said, man, I, I, I bet you somebody probably think I could sing better than him. You know, just give me the mic. The pastor never gave me that opportunity and all that. Well, I tell you what, you may want the oil, but can you, can you pay the price that it takes to get that oil? You say, oh, I want the promised land. Do you know all the hills and the valleys that we have to go through? Do you know all the ups and the downs that we got to deal with? All the work and the time and the dedication and the practice? Huh? Oh, come on now, somebody. And the rehearsal and the sacrifice and the surrender. We say, God, I want it. <laughs> but it's got hills and valleys. You know, God never promised us no valleys. Can I be real with you today? Someone say, go ahead. He never promised us in no valleys, but you know what he promised? To be with us. Oh, my God. He promised to be. He didn't promise us an easy life. He didn't promise us that, but he promised us a better life. But we got to get this out of our minds that easy equals or that better equals easy. No. He didn't say it was going to get easier. He promised you an abundant life. He promised you a better life. But he did not promise us an easy life. And there are going to be valleys. David famously said, and if I hope I can get to it in this, in this series, maybe on another Sunday. But he said famously in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. Hallelujah. 
How many of you are thankful that the Lord is with you? How many of you can give God some great praise right now because you know that, yea, though I walk through the valley, I don't walk by myself. But God is not only the God of the hill, he's the God of the valley, and he's been with me. Come on and give him about 30 seconds of praise. I've been through the valley. I've been there, but God has never left my side. He promised never to leave me nor forsake me. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah today. If living in the promised land was easy, then everybody would live there. If, if living in the promised land was easy, if revival was easy, then everybody would have it. Huh? If growth was easy, then everybody would have it. If, if having that marriage or that life, that ministry... Hallelujah, that family. If it was easy, everybody would have it. I don't know, sometimes we look at other families. Man, they just, have you ever thought this? Man, that family, they just got it all together, man. They, 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 they never fight. <laughs> they just don't fight around you. <laughs> they got it all together. Their kids are always, you know, smiling. What's the secret? You, say, you think they don't have heels and valleys? They got heels and valleys too. But there's a price, and there's a, and, and we go into these things recognizing it. And so one of the, some of the best advice, I know I'm touching in some very practical areas of, of family, relationships, and marriage, and all that. And, and, and you need to pay attention to those things, because that's the, that's the best piece of advice you get. You know, you know after the honeymoon, there's going to be hills and valleys. And you got to go into it knowing that you give your life to Christ. When someone gives their life to Jesus and is baptized, we're going to have some baptisms this year in Jesus' name. Amen. And when someone gets baptized, you know what i got to tell them? i got to tell them, look at there's going to be some hills and valleys. I wish I could tell you that when you give your life to Jesus, you're never going to have a problem again. You're never going to get sick again. You're never going to have a, a flat tire again. I wish I could tell, but that would be false advertisement. Why? Because we all know as we're sitting here today, that's not the truth. There's going to be ups and downs. But guess what? You can make it. Hallelujah. You can go through it. You can be triumphant. You can be victorious. Come on. Hallelujah, somebody. It's hard work. That's why the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You got to work it out. It's work in the valley. Amen, somebody. Let me give you the third point before I get out of your way today. And that is you got to trust the right source. Hmm. Trust the right source. Moses, he, he continues. This, this will be my last point today, but it's very important. Very, very important. Hear, hear me today. Moses, he describing, he's surveying, right? He's got his instrument now. He said, everybody looks, listen up here. It's a land of hills and valleys. But here's the other thing you need to know about the land of promise, about the calling of Christ, amen, is that this valley drinks water from the rain of heaven. Now, all of us are going like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's where water comes from. But for the, the children of Israel, this whole concept kind of, was different to them because, remember, they grew up in the desert. And their lives revolved around the Nile River. You see, in Egypt, all of commerce, agriculture, industry, manufacturing, uh, religion, all centered around the Nile River. The Nile River was sacred to them. The Nile River is what irrigated their crops. Hear me today. This is very important. Amen. The Nile River is what, is what brought life to their land. So by contrast, he was telling them that, that this place is different. Now look at, you look at the, the Nile River, and the name of it means happy. Everyone say happy. The irony is not lost on me on this one. 
the thing they depended on to be their source was a river called Kaf. They built their lives around, everyone say it. They were, they, see, here's the thing. Read your Bibles. The children of Israel were in idolatry when they were in Egypt. Why do you think in Joshua 24, when he stands before them, he says, are you going to serve the gods of your fathers and the idols? Several times we read that they practice along idolatry in Egypt with them. 400 years, it's going to happen. It happened to them. And they were worshiping the same gods right alongside them. Joshua 24, 14, you can read it in your Bible. They serve the gods of Egypt. And so when Moses stands before them and he says, listen, we're going into a place where it's not going to be the Nile anymore. He wasn't just talking about their water source. He was talking about their altar. He wasn't just talking about where the water came from. He was talking about what they depended on. And he was telling them this, that you can no longer worship happy. Mm, my gosh. They depended on the water of the Nile, but now they've got to let that thing go. And now they've got to surrender to something else. And he says, no longer are you going to be able to build your life around happy. Everyone say happy. That's what they worshipped. They chased happy. It was all about what makes them happy. I told the irony is not lost on me. They bowed at the altar of. And some of us are enslaved to what makes us happy. But I've come to tell you today that if you're going to walk by faith and not by sight, if you're going to step into your promises, if you can come, come up on the piano, brother. If you're going to step into greater things, if you're going to step into your destiny in Christ, you've got to make up in your mind today, either, either, you're either going to serve what makes you happy or you're going to serve what makes you whole. Because what's making you whole, what's making you godly, what's making you a disciple, what's making you a child of God, what's making you into mm, a woman of God, a man of God, is not always going to make you happy. So if you only go to a church based on how happy they make you, if you're only serving God based on how happy you are. You only do things based on, is it going to make me happy? Well, I believe God wants all of us to be happy. There's no greater life than the life that we live in service to God. Amen, somebody. There's no greater life than the life that we live surrendered to God. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Life more abundantly. I've come that you might have life. I came to give you a better life. Can I tell you that you'll never be happier than you are when you serve God and when you follow Him into the promises that He has laid out for you. But you also got to know that there's going to be times where you may not be so happy. Because happiness is based on happenings. 
Happiness is based on the circumstances of your life. It's based on what's the ups and the downs. It's based on the highs and the lows. It's based on the rises and the falls. But what you've got to know is that to thrive in the promises of God, in the promised land of God, my life has got to be based on more than what makes me happy. What I need is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Would you stand with me at this hour today? Hallelujah. Of course God wants you to be happy, my friend. But there are times in life, there are hills and valleys when happiness will rise and fall. And in those hours and in those times, there's got to be a greater source of joy. There's got to be something greater than all of that. I cannot promise you the happiest life based on the circumstances because there's going to be, there's going to be hills and valleys. In your relationship with God, there's going to be hills and valleys. In your marriage, there's going to be hills and valleys. In your ministry, in your promised land, there's going to be hills and, and valleys. But if we learn how to trust the rain. See, I think this is probably why the first plague in Egypt was turning the Nile into blood. Oh, my God. I'm going to help somebody right now. One of the first things that God will do to shake you out of your comfort zone mm, is mess with your source of happiness. Mm, my God. Is mess with the Nile River in your life. The first plague that God did. See, it wasn't just to convince. We think the plagues were to, were to twist the arm of Pharaoh. That was only part of it. Because God was also proving to his people that I am greater than the gods of Egypt. I am greater than the gods of this land. And so the very first plague that God does in Egypt is turning their happy place, their Nile place, into a river of blood. And you know what that river of blood points to me? It points to the blood of Jesus. It shows me that every miracle and every blessing and every healing and every joy and every good thing that I need from God is going to flow from the blood is gonna flow from the cross it's gonna flow come on now somebody somebody worship with me today it's gonna flow from his hand